Today's presenting sponsor is Datadog. If your business is being driven by software, you know today's applications are more complex than ever. They're sitting on multiple layers of infrastructure and distributed services, and it can be very complicated to manage. Datadog brings visibility into every part of your infrastructure, as well as APM monitoring for your application's performance. Customizable dashboards, collaboration tools, and alerts let you develop your own workflow for observability and incident response. Datadog integrates seamlessly with all of your apps and systems, from Amazon Web Services to Kubernetes to MySQL, so you can get visibility in minutes. You want to get started now? Go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to get started with Datadog and get a free t-shirt. Datadog is trusted by thousands of enterprises, so if you haven't tried Datadog at your company or on your side project, go to datadog.com slash cloudcast to try it out and get a free t-shirt. And now, on with the show. Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is The Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to The Cloudcast, coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, You know, it's been a little while since we've talked about uh, things around sort of config management and automation, and you know we've kind of gotten ourselves wrapped up in, in some other stuff. And I had an opportunity last week. I ran into a good friend of the show and, and former uh, person on the show. So um, we were at an event, and, and I thought, you know, we should, we should chat about this. So we were going to chat while we were at the event, and things one thing led to another and bad audio quality. And so very excited to have back on the show, although remotely this time. Uh, Robin Bergeron, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. It's good to be back here in my part of the world, also in my massive studios. That's right. Yeah, we were we were in uh, we were in Phoenix together last week. It was uh, we were at an event. Uh, Gene Kim was there. It was kind of a DevOps event, and it was unbelievably hot in Phoenix. Although I think, well, I think it was hot. You you think it was just summer in Phoenix? Yes. Well, you see, in my part of the country, it's more like a hair dryer. In your part of the country, this time of year, it's more like a sauna. And right. I'm I'm more into the hair dryer hot than the sauna <laughs> hot. So my glasses don't fog up when I go outside here. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you are now uh, in charge of the Ansible community, or at least community community director, community czar. What's um what's what's new in your world? Like what's what's going on in the Ansible community? Because it's it's kind of huge and growing and, and growing in all sorts of interesting ways. Yeah, so um, I guess my official, well, my my official title is something very obnoxious in the uh, Red Hat HR system, but uh, the title I go by in public is community architect. Uh, there's the other half of my team who is my boss, Greg Konigsberg. Uh, I've been he sometimes calls himself community guy, and I don't like calling myself community gal, and he won't go for being community Batman if I'm community Robin. So <laughs> I'm just community architect, and and he's you know Greg the community guy and and uh forward we go so yeah ansible's uh i mean it's been growing by leaps and bounds for a couple years now um kind of unbounded uncharted crazy growth so i think we're at 2750 or so 2750 2750 i guess is the appropriate way to say it in uh math terms or number terms uh contributors um we're around a thousand modules, which are the things that Ansible uses to talk to other bits of technology and uh, manage things. Um, we've got lots of projects going on. Uh, Ansible Container is one of them, which is a uh, interesting way to create. If you've ever written a Docker file or looked at a Docker file, you know that it's 
not always in the most uh, plain of of English, and we find that the language of Ansible, aka YAML, is a little bit more readable. So it's basically creating a, a Docker file uh, in the Ansible language that you know and love, and using uh, the same rules that you would to uh, put uh, use Ansible to deploy applications in a more traditional, not containerized environment. Uh, and then it's got some fun add-ons where you can uh, push it that uh, setup directly into a Kubernetes or OpenShift type of environment if you're uh, that far along in your magical path to uh, microservices, containerization, Kuberneticizing, whatever it is that we're calling it these days. So yeah, uh, I did have a funny thing last night. Can I tell you my <clears throat> funny? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure. Uh, someone was talking about a. Uh, Oh, on Twitter, they said, uh, I'm telling my computer to, you know, please just run Kubernetes and it's not listening. And I said, you've got to wait for Kubernetes Skynetties when it becomes self-aware. So I hope that someone eventually makes a machine, like an AI-oriented uh, flavor of Kubernetes and that they call it Kubernetes Skynetties. Um, so yeah. free idea for anybody out there who, you know, would like to make a probably a, a very funny website if nothing else yeah well yeah. I, I think I think uh, Kelsey Hightower was was sort of setting up kubernetes through like Amazon Alexa so we're, we're getting close we're yeah he was like yeah. Alexa you know run kubernetes or something like that so we're getting we're getting closer but yeah definitely someone should go go run that so you've been you've been around a bunch of big projects well you've been around a bunch of open source projects for like you were you ran the fedora project so you know all of its uh, hairiness and gnarliness and lots of inputs and so forth. You've been around Elastic, which is a different kind of community. Like for for anybody that doesn't live and breathe open source all the time, um, open source is funny these days because you know depending on where you are in a project, you talk about contributors or stars or forks or whatever. Like it's always sort of numbers, and people are always like, "Yeah, but what does that mean?" Like so, you've been around enough that have been you know in all sorts of different stages. Like what's What's healthy? What's good? Like, how do you describe like projects to people so they have some sense of like what's reality? Uh, oh, metrics are a fun topic, and of yeah. course, I got to lots about this when I was actually at Elastic because a lot of what they do is you know around being able to count things and inputs and events and you know magically visualize them and you right. know store them someplace where hopefully they're not going to disappear. So, learning about you know, people keep track of metrics and I have the tendency to feel that metrics aren't really useful unless they're, you know, actionable. Like a lot of people counted or clicked on the star button. Like that's very neat and it's very gratifying. And I'm glad that, you know, I don't know, 20,000 some odd people have clicked the star on Ansible because I think that's awesome. And it's a nice way to, you know, keep track of projects that you're interested in. So it's sort of a metric, but it's like, that, that doesn't tell me anything about why they're clicking or, you know, there's no data or, you know, anything really indicative there. Uh, things like forks tend to be, I mean, it's at least sort of like, I hope that maybe this person is forking it in the hopes that maybe they'll contribute back. Have they contributed before? What's the likelihood? You might be able to keep track of stuff like that. Um, most of what I like to do is, uh, you know, in, in my eyes, community, and, and it's different to lots of people, lots of people just think about it as, I'm going around and talking about how to do things. Uh, in Ansible, we've always been all about empowering people to get stuff done. Uh, so metrics that I like to keep track of are things like time from the person submitted a PR until the time somebody actually looked at it and the time it was actually merged, um, you know, or people interacting with it or trying to help someone out. Those are the things that are sort of indicative to me of 
I guess, health, right? Because otherwise, if you're not getting the things in time, then people start getting sad and they go away, um, which is not healthy for a community. So uh, things like that are are things where I tend to keep my my eyes peeled. But it's still, you know, people compare like uh, there were a couple of folks not too long ago. GitHub actually has a great uh, tool called GitHub Archive and GitHub Timeline, which are gigantic, huge, enormous literally big data sets stored in uh, Google's BigQuery tool. And you can go in and literally look at every single event, including every time people comment. Uh, And in uh, Kubernetes land, there's a lot of bot things going on where people interact with the bot. We're like, oh, we're the most active. And I'm like, talking to the bot is not necessarily interacting with (laughs) with other humans. And it's that's fine. Like, I think that's great. And, you know, we also have a bot. Our bot works differently, but it doesn't mean that, like – either of us is the best or the worst or or anything it's just different so yeah you know people put numbers up like that or when you know microsoft puts up numbers that say like we have more blah in github than anyone else it's like well yeah but they're all under your organization like you don't okay like you know i guess if you think that's great then and you think it's great that they're all only on github then then that's cool but you know in fedora like we we the Fedora is not part of that world. OpenStack also not part of that world. You know they people have mirrors on on GitHub, but it's not where the action is happening. So yeah. skipping over data like that to compare, you know, when you compare all open source projects, bear in mind they're not all on GitHub. For the love of God. Right, right. Well, and I, and I think if I if I'm sort of hearing all of that, it's to a certain extent you almost have to treat it like any other software just piece of software, right? It's like, how much technical debt does it have? How fast does the debt get resolved if it makes sense to resolve it? Do people actually use the software? You know, do they use it from one release to the next release? So, I mean, there's a lot of vanity around it, but if you if you really boil it down, it does ultimately kind of get back to its, its software and either it has to work and people have to use it or it's, you know, it could be a lot of just muck of ones and zeros. Yeah, and people like to, you know, I get and we've actually talked about this recently like you know we we have metrics you know they're they're not the prettiest thing on earth but it's all the the things that we sort of care about in community land you know how how fast are people getting you know their issues addressed and you know is that getting better for new issues and for issues that are you know older than six months where maybe they're still plotting along or are those at least improving uh but just having you know maybe we should just have a vanity metrics page because i see things all the time where people are like ansible has 1200 contributors and i'm like where did you get yeah. that like i you know or there's another one that i saw on a actually a red hat deck somewhere that said like ansible's 11th most popular open source project and i said okay according to what like i mean popularity is measured in a thousand ways and is you know subjective Right. And it's kind of like high school, like, you know, I'm very popular <laughs> in the band crowd, but, you know, maybe not with the chess crowd, you know, who knows? So, yeah, yeah. well, so you let's, know, uh, yeah. it's, it's mostly people are happy and, and that makes me happy. And, and that's probably, you know, if I'm not happy, that's that's my own personal measure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, like I said, you and I were at this were at this DevOps event. Uh, Gene Kim was kind of keynoting and we were talking about different stuff. So. In the in the in the DevOps world, um, you know, it kind of took off as a bunch of config management tools. Um, so obviously, Ansible plays a role in there, but we've seen other stuff. Um, but I always get this sense with with DevOps, and I'm curious on your take on it. Is like 
DevOps has kind of started as like, hey, use automation. And then it became like, well, but we got to get these teams to work together. So focus more on, you know, uh, you know, making people like each other and play nice together and uh, empathy and all this stuff. Like Ansible kind of plays a role where like you can just be helping network admins and, and automating stuff. You could be helping sysadmins and Linux admins. And I mean, like, does, do you guys have a a take on, I mean, do you, do you kind of go out in the market and go like, Hey, we help people with DevOps or do you sort of look at yourself and say, look, um, Ansible's great at just automating software getting deployed. The world's becoming more software. Just make automation a core part of what you do. Like what, what's the intersection? You know, if I had a, one of those, you know, charts, I forget what they call them, you know, where it's a bunch of circles that overlap each other. Like where does Ansible oh, the and, Dev, Ven, and the DevOps, Venn yeah, the, yeah, where's the Venn diagram of like Ansible and DevOps considering that you guys kind of play in lots of different, you know, domains of deploying software. So I guess there's a couple things and I, you know, part of, you know, what, what is Ansible's point of view? And, you know, there, there's certainly the, the Ansible point of view of we, like most companies have advertising and capabilities and stuff to many, many different markets. Uh, I think, you know, internally, if we're actually engaging with, you know, the community or, you know, if sales folks are talking to a customer, depending on where they are in their magical DevOps journey, you know, it sort of depends. But I think by and large, the thing that we've seen and that we've heard more than anything else, and actually it was interesting because I heard this at when I was actually at Elastic 2, was that it was the first tool that anybody had ever, you know, sort of discovered where they found that people in the other side of the house were also using it, right? Like, so they found, you know, just for the, the dev and ops, like the very traditional, the dev folks and the ops folks, it was like, hey, we're an ops and we're using this thing and, and developers were using it too. And that was the first time that they ever said like, oh my God, we're, we actually agree on something. Okay, this is weird. Like, let's hold on a second. Like, we're sure we're all doing the same thing. Yep. We're all using the same tool. Like, very odd it's it's you know in, in devops we've always said you know it's not about tools it's more about culture but you know sometimes culture is hard in fact you know people are, are way worse than 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 computers you know when you get right. down to it and you know anything that can bring two groups together like it's not about tools but you know if it just happens to be the inspiration for that cultural shift to start happening then then hooray and, and the nice part is is that it, it tends to be Ansible tends to be a very has a low barrier to entry for getting started. So yeah, uh, it tends to be something that that has more of a grassroots internal, you know, rather than the top down. You know, just like DevOps tends to fail when someone comes in and says we're all going to start DevOpsing. You know, when people have more of a, a grassroots type type effort or start sharing with each other and you know trying things out and experimenting, uh, things tend to go better that way. So we yeah. found that. It, it, it helps and it enables people a lot, you know, on their path. So, and a lot of it is just, you know, talking to people who save 15 minutes one week, you know, finally got all those crappy shell scripts out of their, you know, VI, you know, your diary file or whatever. Like they, they, they peeled all those out and started, you know, automating those things. And, you know, even if it's just their, their personal stuff that they have to do every week, like I have to go and set up 20 accounts for the new hired folks on these 30 machines. Like I did this when I was at Motorola, like it sucked. And then when I discovered expect this was the nineties, um, it was awesome. And you know, I saved a bunch of time and people save time. And that's, you know, when you start chipping away at your technical debt is I finally 
am not underwater this week. I'm, I'm at the water line, which means I can, you know, start getting ahead. And when people tell me, like, I actually saw my kids this weekend or this was the first weekend ever that I was on call and nobody called me is like, wow, like your life is actually better. It's not like, yay, I helped you do a thing. But like, you know, when when people's lives are better that's like when you know your work is really gratifying so yeah no that's that's good and, I, and I, it makes me feel good because i uh sometimes i wonder I, you know i tell folks a lot of times when you know they kind of go well like ah oh, where do we get started on a devops journey and what do we do and 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 you don't like you said you don't really want to just go like well here's a tool and, and throw it at you but but there is a certain amount of being like if if multiple people in your organization can agree to use a tool or they just sort of serendipitously are sort of using common stuff like it'll force you to have sort of common language it may force you to begin to start to use common process and procedure which you know fundamentally is sort of what a lot of this devops stuff begins to look like when you get it right it's like we use common tools we sort of agreed with each other about how to do certain things and so yeah that's it makes me it makes me feel good that i'm, I'm not sort of uh completely out of my mind when i when i'm sort of saying that it, it it uh you're seeing it you're seeing it both from from the devs and the ops yeah well and it's i think there's also an element certainly of you know are people even aware of it and and talking about it to each other like yeah. other than surprise someone comes in one day i mean when we were at the event someone just said you know like i'm getting this book for all the people i know and that's you know when that book came out uh i decided that i would send it to or actually i didn't send it i mailed jim whitehurst and insisted that he read it i mean this was like yep i don't know five years ago and three months later he was like sorry it took me so long but you were right oh my god like this book is amazing and when i told gene he about fell Right. down be, like you're yeah, standing you, in a hallway somewhere he was like oh my god because jim was the coo at delta and like that book is all about bottlenecks and if there's a bottleneck out there it's you know people and metal tubes and their luggage like yep that's that's a good way to you know think about how bottlenecks can actually be so yeah i mean you're talking about gene's book the phoenix project i'm assuming yes that yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that not, book. Not, the, not the new one which i have a copy of um and i have flipped through it and i promised him i would actually look and he was not wounded so. yeah yeah <laughs> so um so so speaking of sort of commonality of, of technology so uh let's let's kind of i want to bounce containers off off you a little bit um you know a few years ago when containers first came out there was this this sort of i don't know you know it's the typical sort of mindset of like anything anytime anything new comes out it must automatically in the tech industry kill off something else because otherwise it doesn't have space in the big ecosystem of of tech and and one of the first things that people talked about with containers is they said well if i can just describe everything in a container you know put it in a docker file i no longer need config management tools and i no longer need and there was this like whoa okay well wait a second maybe that's the case maybe that's not the case like Give me a sense of, of obviously that hasn't happened because the world's not 100% containers and Ansible and lots of other tools are doing well. Like, where does Ansible fit in the big container world as, you know, developers can start describing stuff as Docker files, but yet there's still lots of other things that have to get automated? Like, where's that all kind of juxtaposition these days? So, you know, one of the reasons that we actually started Ansible container was just to pull together the gazillions of best practices that we have seen people doing with, you know, so originally with, with, you know, just Docker and, and then, you know, LXC, LXD, uh, and then, you know, as Kubernetes 
people seeing, you know, starting seeing people do combinations of all these things and just sort of looking at, you know, what's worked for people, what's not worked for people and trying to pull lots of that together. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, there, there's plenty of people out there who still do, you know, outside of Ansible containers still do have all their own homegrown, you know, the way that they do things that fits in with, you know, their work environment. And it's great because Ansible is super flexible. I mean, almost to the point where, I mean, you can do really amazing things with it and you can also, you know, accidentally, you know, build yourself a, a, a terrible pile of crap that in two years you'll be like, <laughs> why did I do it that way? But, you know, it's a learning curve, whatever. Um, fortunately, you can build it in chunks and lots of it's reusable and you can get rid of the, the parts that you don't necessarily want to reuse and keep the rest. Anyhow, um, but, you know, now there's, you know, it's not just containers, but there's all these different frameworks, uh, you know, orchestration. You know, Ansible has actually always been a orchestration tool that just happens to do config management. So watching the world of, uh, you know, what's the most popular orchestration tool? And I'm like, well, you know, we sort of fit in there too, but, you know, I guess orchestration is, I guess, you know, uh, reserved is a word these days for uh, things like Kubernetes and Mesos and stuff. So uh, anyway, um, turns out most of those tools also, you know, <laughs> occasionally need to be managed. Um, and, and that's where, where Ansible is really, you know, we've got Kubernetes modules, we've got you know, you sometimes you have to install those things, right? You have to actually install places for those things to live unless you're, you know, just consuming out of a cloud provider. Right. Uh, you know, we've seen, you know, as far as OpenStack goes, um, we're, we've gone from, you know, being a, a scrappy little tool that some folks use to being the most used tool in that ecosystem. And now is that, as all of OpenStack has been moving to containerized stuff and now containerized stuff, you know, running in Kubernetes, uh, there's still plenty of folks who want to use Ansible in that process because it tends to be a little easier for the operators who have to manage that stuff day to day. Not the applications, but like the whole shebang, like is it up and running? Right. Uh, and that's, you know, a place where we come in and, and if people want to use it to, you know, define their applications as we're seeing people do, I think that's great too. It, it just depends on, you know, I always joke that, you know, you, you don't have legacy stuff until you're more than one day old as a company. But, um, you know, people do, you know, a lot of people, especially if they're building stuff out on their own uh, in a private cloud type of way, have lots of stuff that, that all needs managing. And you find that having 27 sources of truth is a, a little bit more difficult to manage than, you know, one. Right. So. Right. So kind of kind of expanding on that so you mentioned you mentioned kubernetes um as a as a thing that people are using to you know orchestrate containers and so forth and you know we, we see this all the time with engineers it's like well there's something that exists it does 89 percent of what i want so instead of expanding the other 11 percent, i will just build my own tool right and we've seen this over and over again historically but like Kubernetes seems to now. This is how we stay in business. That's right. That's right. So, but Kubernetes now seems to have this new fascination that everybody and their brother wants to build a Kubernetes deployment tool. I build a tool for deploying in AWS and a deployment tool for this. Like, why does that? Why does that happen? I mean, is it just purely the engineering, you know, kind of fantasy of like I'm going to build something that's so much better, or like, like why does that keep happening? Why don't people just go? There's already this. Ansible Kubernetes thing, I could just expand upon it or modify it or whatever. Like, what's what drives um, that mentality? Well, I mean, some of it is, I think some projects don't want to look like they've pledged 
an alliance to a specific tool. Like, you know, there are, you know, Kubernetes is a project I don't believe endorses any specific method of, right. of doing it. Um, you know, there's usually like a quick start where everybody just says, yeah, this is probably the, the easiest way that you might want to play with this dot, dot, dot. Please don't, you know, keep this up and running in production for the rest of your life because you're going to be very sad. Right. Um, but after that, I, you know, a lot of the, you know, just seeing how it's played out in OpenStack, uh, you know, the OpenStack Ansible folks, which is the mostly Rackspace developers, and that's what runs, I don't know, one of the Rackspace clouds or whichever ones they've, they've got still running these days. Um, and I love those guys to death, but it, it's, you know, a we deploy Ansible in containers, and I think they're LXC or LXD containers, and then we SSH into those containers and we make them look the way we want to, which, you know, is not a appealing-looking thing to other people who are like, ooh, you're not supposed to actually do that with containers, but it's the thing that works for them. Right. So there are other Ansible and container projects, which, you know, aren't necessarily tied to we have to move very slowly. Uh, you know, if there's a, a vendor and it's their project and they've open sourced it, but it's also the thing that runs their own infrastructure, they're not really wanting to, you know, make radical changes because they're still depending on it. So, you know, if there's a, a clear, you know, jumping line from, you know, this way and it will take a while or I can start something new, people will sometimes start something new. Sometimes the older people will eventually migrate to it, but they aren't necessarily always in the best place for radical experimentation when you know they have customers and stuff so right right yeah and i think you know the other thing that's sort of been on my on my checklist of of the ansible is is everywhere thing is um there's this there's this thing called the open service broker api which was this project between taking the cloud foundry service broker and moving it to kubernetes the kubernetes folks are now working on that and then there's a bunch of people that are making kind of the you know, the big thing with service broker API is like, I talk to an API, it goes to some third party service. So people would have it talk to like an AWS service or an, or an Amazon service or an Azure service or something like that. But now uh, the folks are making it extensible to basically like every Ansible playbook. So it's like, oh, you want to just a database as a service and spin up an Oracle database? Cool. Just call this Ansible playbook or whatever. So it's it's cool to see, you know, what, like you said, what, like a thousand or so modules are now going to be kind of readily available off the back of this kind of common service broker. Yeah. And I'm, you know, that's the Ansible service broker stuff is actually, it's similar in some ways to Ansible container. And there are elements about it where I'm like, oh, I wish we would have done some of that. I mean, a lot of it was mostly, you know, we have this thing called Ansible Galaxy where I don't even know these days, like eight or 10,000, you know, roles are out there so that you can, and I, and I always joke that like 300 of them are NGINX, but you know, <laughs> if you would like to install just about anything and then also maybe have tools to manipulate that, that stack of whatever it is that you've uh, spun up, um, people have shared their, you know, very generic, you know, for multiple operating systems roles that are all out there. And that's, you know, was sort of the goal of Ansible Container was that, any of these roles that you would normally use to whatever go into your VMs or your traditional hardware, you can now put it into containers and then into Kubernetes land. And so in some ways, Ansible, uh, the Ansible service broker stuff is a little similar, but also slightly different in that it, it's not necessarily uh, starting from the, I want to make a Docker file out of roles perspective. It's, it's a little different and, and it's not in the Ansible group. It's in a different group. So, um, yeah you know, trying to keep up with it. Uh, Cause it's also, you know, just like Ansible container. Like I look at it 
here and there, but like, I'm not quite, you know, it's not to 1.0 yet. So right. I'm not, every time I would sit down and learn something about it, I'm like, oh, oh, I just found out that, that this is now old as of, you know, 10 right. minutes after I got done. So, right. That's 10, 10 new things and you got to keep up with them. And, but that's cool though. But, but like you said, you're, it's, it's basically this, this way of thinking about, you know, how do I reuse what I, what I put a big investment in already and I've already learned, but yet it's going to be, you know, hopefully somewhat modernized to, you know, work with a container, work with an API, you know, kind of move you into that, that containerized worlds, but you don't have to throw everything else away, which, you know, for a lot of companies, if you're not looking to just build a brand new tool by yourself, like that's valuable because it's, I don't have to rebuild it. I don't have to relearn it. I don't have to, you know, reprocess everything. Yeah. And that's the, that's the thing is like the cost of learning anything new. Yeah. You know, is, is sometimes high. I mean, in the case of Ansible, it's not, you know, huge. I mean, maybe over time as other people in your org, like the, the cost of figuring out that maybe instead of us having playbooks all over the place, we should centralize them somehow is, you know, a, a point that people get to. And then they're like, okay, we got to pause all the activity this week and like just work on consolidating this stuff. So we're not redoing each other's work. Um, but you know, some tools it's like, I'd like to learn this thing. Great. Go to training for three weeks and then come back. And and most people are are like on fire. They can't do that. So anytime you can reuse stuff and it, you know, keeps it in the same language or the same methodologies that you're used to using is, is huge for people. Yeah. Let me, let me wrap up with one last thing. And if, and if you, if this goes on a rant or if it goes nowhere, that that's fine. Um, this, this kind of concept of serverless, right, which is, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, around things like AWS Lambda, but there's, you know, there's multiple other ways of doing this. Like, d- does the Ansible community have a, an opinion on serverless? Because sometimes it gets talked about as, well, there's no more ops. We don't need an ops anymore. Don't worry about it. You know, Ansible tends to be a tool that, you know, has a big community around operations. Like, does anybody care at this point? Is it, is it intersecting with you guys at all? Or is it well, just I sort mean, of it's out there? There are people in the community who have cared enough to build a bunch of uh, Lambda modules so that you oh, can okay. you know, do your stuff for Lambda with uh, AWS. We actually talked about this at the uh, uh, Contributor Summit a little bit, uh, mostly because we were talking about uh, – there's a, a tool out there called Zool, which is actually the, the tool that OpenStack folks use to uh, do CI, and they have basically ripped out Jenkins and replaced it with Ansible, and they you know use that to the tune of a lot of contributors and – you know several yeah. thousand jobs per hour. Anyway, um, in talking about, you know, how node allocation and, and uh, you know, inventory usage uh, is actually allocated, someone was suggesting, like, that will kind of suck if I'm, uh, uh, you know, very far away from XYZ machine. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do some serverless stuff? And I'm looking at these guys. I mean, these are, you know, lots of Ansible folks and the OpenStack infrastructure team, and they're like, dude, did, are you basically talking about serverless and we want to light that word on fire because it's so offensive because we all understand that serverless still needs servers. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he explained, you know, some of the ideas. And I think just when he started using the word Lambda instead of serverless, like, ah, like people's souls were, were a little um, happier. I mean, it, it's out there. It's, it's like anything. I mean, there's people like Ansible and they want to tie it to the, the stuff that they're doing. And, and this is why we have, you know, a thousand modules for everything on earth, including things that, you know, you haven't heard of. Like my favorite example is a, a someone submitted a, a module for a piece of software called honey badger. And it took us a while to, to find someone who could <laughs> agree that, yes, this was 
the best way to do a module for the Honey Basher software, but we were like, no, but what, what on earth is this? But that's the thing is, is it, it, our philosophy has always been that we, you know, just the people employed to work on Ansible can't possibly ever, ever, ever have the breadth or the depth of knowledge in all these emerging spaces, which is why we, you know, share the power with everybody else, because those are the people who are using those other tools that we'll never actually touch. They'll always be the experts in those areas. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's cool. So it, it, there is there is sort of the, the inklings of how to make some of these these tools uh, like Ansible play with some of the, the stuff that's serverless or, or whatever, you know, Lambda, yeah. Lambda-ish well, function-ish. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, well, actually, like, when I went and looked at it, I was like, oh, I actually, you know, because I understand Ansible and I can look at this stuff, I actually understood it quite a bit better because it was like rather than me going and learning all about serverless, it sort of gave me the short version in the Ansible language of, you know, like what was going on. I was like, oh, now I get it. Sweet. It's not just like this crazy thing where they're flushing all the servers down the toilets. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, what is, uh, what's the best place if somebody wants to, you know, reach out to you and talk Ansible, come to one of the events, you know, figure out when the next Ansible Fest is? Like, what's the best way to, to go track down the Ansible community? Oh, well, other than the next Ansible Fest is on September 7th in San Francisco, um, you can usually find me on Twitter almost always. I mean, my, my account continues to be there, but I check it frequently. Uh, it's at Robin Bergeron, R-O-B-Y-N-B-E-R-G-E-R-O-N. Um, Ansible community, I mean, we're on IRC. You can follow Ansible on Twitter. Um, I, I'm not a hard person to find on the Internet. I still have people sending me mails requesting me to call them personally about helping them upgrade their Fedora and boxes, <laughs> which are, have been EOL'd for about 16 releases now. So yeah, uh, once a community, always a community. Someone who wants to talk Ansible can find me. So. Right. Very cool. Well, listen, Robin, thank you very much. Uh, you. hope you, uh, hope you don't, uh, don't melt out there and, uh, great to talk to you and folks for Aaron and for Robin, we're going to wrap it up for this week and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media.